Ruth chapter 4, and that's on page 227 of your church Bibles. Um, Zach's going to start off reading the first half, and then I'll jump in for the second half of the passage. Ruth chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. And I'm next in line. I'll redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it. I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, earlier times in Israel for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transaction in Israel. So the regarding redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed the sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Mahalon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Mahalon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar born to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brown family, for reading to us. It'd be great if you can keep Ruth open on page 227. And as you do, I want to ask you the question, is your life full? 
I don't mean busy. We probably all lead busy lives. Is your life full, full of good things? Jesus said, I have come so that my people may have life and have it to the full. So is your life full? Full of God's rich blessings. The story of Ruth has been a story about how God takes people who are empty and fills them up. God takes people whose lives have become destitute and gives them a destiny. People whose lives were hopeless and gives them a hope. The story of Ruth has been the story of a wanderer, wanderer Naomi. She started in famine. She left her Lord and she left her land and she went to Moab. And there she found Ruth, her daughter-in-law. But they were bereaved of their husbands and they found themselves destitute. And today as we arrive back at the end of the story, we see that Ruth has been redeemed. Her, fullness, her emptiness has turned to fullness, feasting at the harvest. She's been restored to her Lord, redeemed in her land. And she's been given a great hope, this little grandson in her arms, who would become her guardian redeemer. She is full of hope, full of love, full of confidence in the God who brings about great reversals. Well, let me tell you about three full lives that you probably know about already, three full lives of people living in our church here today. First is our friend Russ. Uh, you probably uh, might have seen Russ around on a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon. He's normally run outrageous errands to all parts of Sydney getting craft activities so that your children can have a great time on a Sunday at church. Uh, on a Sunday, Russ often has a little bit of sweat in the brow and a child hanging off his arm. And I remember asking him one Sunday, Russ, how's life? It's full of good things, he said. By that I mean that we're busy, but we're busy doing the things that we think matter most. Russ is a man leading a life that is lived to the full. Bronwyn Lehow. Bronwyn's a member of our 10am congregation up at Neutral Bay. Uh, Bronwyn is a single woman, once married, now divorced. She served for some time as a missionary in Taiwan, but now serves as chaplain at, Red's, uh, at Redlands School up in Neutral Bay. Bronwyn's children have grown up, and so now she just invests her life into the lives of other people's children, seeking to shape their destinies eternally. She's pouring herself out for others, working so hard, but she is leading a full life. And then we heard of Reno, didn't we? There is a life that is being lived to the full. Well, friends, your life might not look like Reno, like Bronwyn, or like Russ, but the story of Ruth is a story that reminds us that the God of great reversals can turn the fortunes of our lives around. He can take our lives as messy and as ordinary as they seem and sweep them up and weave them in to his extraordinary purposes. He can weave them into his great big story of redemption, not only of families, but of the whole world. And so if we go back to that last slide, our big idea today is trust the God of great reversals. Trust the God of great reversals to bless his redeemed people. 
We're going to see that in three ways as we go through Ruth chapter 4. We'll see it in the way that uh, Ruth and Naomi have a costly redemption. We'll see it in the way that Ruth and Naomi get a grasp of their redemption blessings. And then, third and finally, we'll see it in the way that Ruth and Naomi's story gets swept up as part of a bigger story of God's plans of redemption. So let's begin with our first point. Know your costly redemption. Chapter 4, verse 1, it's the morning after the threshing room floor incident. You might remember last week, well, what Naomi had sought to enact in the darkness, under the cover of darkness, at the threshing room floor, Boaz brings out into the, into the light of day. And he seeks to enact this plan in the presence of the elders and witnesses. And we have another it-just-so-happened moment. Have a read with me, chapter 4, verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and he sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he'd mentioned came along. What a God-ordained coincidence. It just happened to be there that morning. Well, Boaz said to him, Come over here, my friend. But hold on. Why are we just only meeting this man now? Why haven't we met this guardian redeemer early in the story? And we know that Ruth and Naomi have been in town long enough that everyone knew that they were back. We know that Ruth had been there long enough to develop a reputation. She was known as a woman of noble character. Why does this guardian redeemer only just turn up? Well, the narrator wants us to know that this guardian redeemer, who refused to pay the cost of redemption, that he was a man of forgettable character. We miss it in uh, our translations, but if I read to you in the original language, a literal translation of the end of verse 1, you'll pick it up. Boaz said, come over here, so-and-so, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. You see, Boaz knew the name of this relative. Everyone in the town of Bethlehem would have known the name of this man, the guardian redeemer. But he has gone down in history as Mr. So-and-so a man who was forgotten in the redemption story of God because he would not pay the redemption price. I love the faith of Boaz. I love his trust in the providence of God because what does he do? Verse 2, he takes the elder, sits down and says, As you know, Mr. So-and-so, our relative Naomi has come back from Moab and she's selling the land that belonged to her. It was the guardian redeemer's right or opportunity to redeem that land, to buy it back and take it from uh, to perpetuate the family line. Verse 4. I thought I should bring this matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it. And he says, end of verse 4, I'll do it. Great idea. Oh no. Is this beautiful love story going to be derailed so easily? Boaz just lays it out straight and the man thinks, great option. I'll take it. Boaz goes on, well, I ought to remind you, verse 5, that on the day that you buy the land, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. Eek, he thinks. As far as he knew, this Moabite woman, Ruth, well, she may well have been barren. She couldn't have a child with Marlon, her former husband. So maybe this just meant buying the land and taking on two needy women for the rest of his life. Maybe he was going to have a child with Ruth and he was thinking, oh, nappies, swimming lessons, 
driving, learning to drive, school fees, orthodontics, I don't know. Maybe he just wasn't willing to pay that cost. Perhaps everyone knew that Ruth was a woman of noble character, but we know nothing about what she looked like. In the Bible, when people are of significant beauty, it's always mentioned. We think of Job's three daughters or uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah. It does point out when people are particularly striking, maybe she was just an ordinary woman who he wasn't interested in. But the one thing we certainly know is that she was and continues to be referred to as a Moabite, a person from Moab. Yeah, people got that she had good character, but she still came with that reputation. She was still an outsider. She had a history, a history that perhaps this Redeemer wasn't willing to take on as his own. There's a story of a pastor, a pastor's son, who fell in love with a woman, in, a young woman in his congregation who had recently become a Christian. This young woman had a very checkered past. Uh, so checkered, in fact, she had worked for some time as a prostitute. And uh, as the love between the pastor's son and this young woman grew and grew, eventually they became engaged to get married. Well, this sparked outrage in the church, and so a church meeting was called. And as the young pastor's son watched his fiancée coil up in her chair as accusations were thrown across the room, and people were saying, how can a woman of such a checkered history become united with a man of such standing in our church? Well, eventually enough was enough, and the son stood up in front of everyone and said, what is on trial today? is not my fiancé's past. What you have put on trial today, church, is the blood of Jesus. Does it wash away sin or does it not? And they were silent. And tears began to well up in people's eyes because they realized that if the blood of Jesus didn't wash away the sin of this woman, well, then it wouldn't wash away theirs either. Boaz was a man who believed in full redemption. That God takes those who come to shelter under his wing and he washes them and cleans them and makes them his very own. He washes away their past. They are redeemed. And in fact, Boaz shows that he believes in redemption and he's also willing to pay the cost of that redemption. Verse 9, he announces to the elders, read with me, Today your witnesses... I've bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Marlon. And I have also acquired Ruth, my sweetheart. Now, what does it say? Continues to call her Ruth the Moabite, the foreigner. I've taken on Ruth the foreigner, Marlon's widow. I don't know if you know what Marlon's name means. It means sickly. So he says, I've taken on Ruth the foreigner, sickly's widow as my wife. Not a glamorous deal, not a match made in heaven, but one that Boaz was willing to take to himself because he was willing to pay the cost of redemption and to have this woman as his own. Friends, this deep, deep love of Boaz for Ruth is a sign that points forward to an even greater redemption of a person that was even more destitute than Ruth, even more hopeless and helpless than her. A person who was lost. In fact, the Bible said they were dead in transgression and sin. That person is you and me. 
We were dead and lost in our sin. We were broken and no one knows us like God knows us. No one knows the deep and dark secrets of our hearts, the things we've done in our past that we wish would remain there. But God knows them all and God has said, I will redeem them. I will redeem you. But it would come at such a great cost. It would be so costly. It would cost God the most precious thing he had. Have a look at what that cost would be on the screen. Next slide. For you know, said the Apostle Peter, that it wasn't with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, but with the precious blood of Christ. Friends, no one knows you like God knows you. But he says, I love you and I will redeem you at great cost to myself. Knowing you're loved is one of the beautiful and great blessings of being a redeemed person of God. But there are other blessings as well, and that's our second point this afternoon. Know your redemption blessings. The God of great reversals is just brilliant at turning the fortunes of our lives around. What began as a story of famine, of fleeing, of death, ends up with a story of feasting, of restoration and life and redemption. Empty Ruth. Let's think about this situation of Empty Ruth's life. Empty Ruth was a hopeless woman. She was lost in a foreign land. She was a foreigner. She was barren. She was destitute. And by the end of the story, she becomes included. She has a destiny. She has a great hope. She's in the love and care of Boaz, her redeemer. She has a son, a son who would act as her and her mother's redeemer, looking after their land. It's foreshadowed in the blessings that the elders speak over Ruth. And I'm not sure if you've noticed as we've gone through the book of Ruth, that all the blessings that get spoken in this book end up coming true. So have a look at the blessings that the elders speak over her in verse 11. They say, halfway through, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. Now if we don't know our Old Testaments well, we could easily miss some of the nuances of what they're saying when they're blessing Ruth like this. Because... I wonder if you know who Rachel and Leah were. They were two sisters. They were married to the one man, Jacob. They had a very messy family life. It was very messy and difficult, but through them, they had 12 sons who became the foundation of the nation of Israel. God can take the messiness of our lives and bring about his great purposes. Verse 12 continues. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar, whom Tamar bore to Judah. That all sounds nice, doesn't it? Unless, of course, we know who Tamar is. Tamar was the forsaken daughter-in-law of Judah, one of Jacob's sons from before. Tamar was this forgotten daughter. She was married to the first two of, of Judah's sons, but each of those sons died. And then Judah refused to give his third son to Tamar. So Tamar came up with a plan. She tricked her father-in-law Judah and she dressed up and pretended to be a town prostitute. 
Judah mistakenly slept with his own daughter-in-law and they had a son whose name was Perez. God can take the messy, messy circumstances of our lives and bring about his redemption purposes. Through Perez, the family line of Boaz came about. Well, God took the messiness and he brought about his good purposes. Verse 13 Verse 13, uh, Ruth and Boaz marry. She became his wife, and the Lord enabled this woman to conceive. This woman who had formerly been barren now has a son, a son of, uh, of her own named Obed. Sounds like a nice name. The name means servant. What a humble couple these two are. They have this son. And friends, Ruth's story is a story that reminds us that with the Lord, Afflicted never means ineffective. And with the Lord, damaged never means done. Now, friends, it doesn't matter what you've done or what you've become. If you, like Ruth, come and take shelter under the wings of God Almighty, then he can take the messy, complex circumstances of your lives and he can sweep them up into his big story and his big plans of bringing about his redemption. And that's where we finish on our third point this, this, this afternoon. Play your part in the big story of God's redemption, God's biggest story. I don't know how you felt as Amy read to us the end of this beautiful love story, finishing on a genealogy that, uh, that uh, Amy read as quickly as she could to get through without messing up any of the names. Did a good job, Amy. Perhaps you kind of hoped that the couple would be riding off into the sunset. But the end of this genealogy actually ends in a climactic point in God's redemption of not just this family, but his redemption of the nation of Israel. You see, David, the great king that came from Ruth, the Ruth's great-grandson, great King David was the high point of God's redemption of his land. It was the time when they had the most of the land that God had promised them. It was the time when they experienced the most of the blessings that God had given to them. But David stuffed up royally like everyone else in the Old Testament. And David's life pointed forward beyond himself to great King David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was through this family line with all its messiness and all its complications that God was going to bring about not just the redemption of this family, not just the redemption of Israel, but no, the redemption of the whole world in his son, Jesus Christ. And so in keeping with the spirit of Ruth, we're going to finish our series in Ruth in a genealogy. We're going to go to the family tree of Jesus. I want you to come with me to Matthew chapter 1 in your Bibles. It's on. I'll tell you when I get there. It's on page 827. As I read to you about this family tree of Jesus, I want you to see how God, the God of great reversals, can turn messy lives around and sweep ordinary and sometimes uh, embarrassing events of our lives up into his great purposes of bringing about his Redeemer, his son, Jesus Christ. I want to point out to you just the women that Matthew decides to point out in this family tree of Jesus. Verse 3. 
Judah was the father of Perez, whose mother was Tamar. And we've heard about her. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab the prostitute. Rahab from Jericho. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was our Ruth. Ruth the foreigner. Ruth the Moabite. Down in verse 6, David fathered Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Bathsheba, the woman whom David stole from Uriah and then had Uriah put to death. Then God goes through a list of suboptimal kings and all their failures and and, uh, then a bunch of people whom history has otherwise forgotten, right down to verse 16, where he mentions Mary. Mary, the teenage virgin, engaged to Joseph. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah, the Saviour of the world. You know, if this family tree kept going and kept stretching out in history, do you know who would turn up in this family tree? You. You, with your ordinary life, or your sometimes messy life, you and I have been swept up in God's extraordinary purposes. Because, friends, the God of great reversals can take the normal events of your life and use them in his great purposes. Friends, the book of Ruth has taught us that you don't have to be a superhero to play a big part in God's big story. You just have to run to the God of Israel, the God of heaven, and take shelter under his wing, as Ruth did. You have to turn to him and take hold of that costly redemption that he won for you at the price of his son's own blood. You have to know your redemption blessings. You have to know the great blessings that God has given you in his son that we read about in Ephesians. All those blessings of being forgiven, adopted, chosen, redeemed. And then you just have to take your part as a faithful servant in the big picture, the big story of God's redemption of the world through his son, Jesus Christ. Friends, let's finish by praying that we, like Russell, like Reno, like Bronwyn, like Ruth, like Naomi, would be faithful servants of God who lead lives that are lived to the full. Let's pray. God of great reversals, we thank you that you can take our ordinary and sometimes very messy lives and you can redeem them. You have redeemed them at the price of your own son. We thank you so much that you use us in your great purposes to redeem the world through Jesus Christ. So help us to be faithful servants, faithful like Ruth, faithful like Naomi, sheltering under your wings, trusting in your providence, and seeking to love and serve you and honor you wherever we find ourselves in these lives that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.